0: My name is Ryan Smith. And my name is Shannon Hartley.
1: You're listening to the Eastern Oregon Connection, a show celebrating small town community
0: and highlighting the people that make it great. We'll be talking with local business owners, nonprofits, city leaders, farmers, and a host of other interesting people. We hope you'll join us for some personal stories,
1: laughs, local news and events, and an all-around good time. This is the EO Connection.
0: Hey, this is Shannon Hartley. And I'm Ryan Smith. And we have a great episode for you all today. We spoke with Pendleton legend, Dean Fouquet. And it's a lot of fun, it's a good episode. But first, we wanna take a moment to recognize Guild Mortgage um, for allowing us the podcast space that we have here.
1: Elaine and her team do a great job. In fact, my wife and I just did a refinance a couple of months ago with Elaine and her team. And, uh, boy, you want to talk about just speed, communication, professionalism. It was a great experience from top to bottom, and I just can't thank those guys enough for getting that done for us. Thank you.
0: All right. So what did you think
1: about this episode, Ryan? Boy, a good time. Uh, if you're into sports, you're in for a ride. But we're going to talk about, um, you know, the business, Dean's Athletic. We're going to talk about sports past and present. Um,
0: and just Dean's, you know, his, his uh – his growing up in Pendleton, all his stories, and um, he really goes, dives into so much that I think a lot of listeners um, are really going to enjoy. So why don't we get into it? Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, welcome in Dean Fouquet to the podcast, the Eastern Oregon Connection. Dean, that, that is our uh, podcast name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, so Thanks for joining us, Dean. I was actually yep. I was actually thinking about your name in the car on the way over here, and I was like, Fouquet. It's, it's got to be French, right? Like Fouquet. Yeah, like
2: it's, it's French. Yep, it's French, but I'm uh, mostly British. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's what
0: 23andMe says. So. <laughs> <laughs> you done 23andMe? Yeah. How did what, what was that? I've never done. I've heard so much about it. But. Yeah,
2: it's it's no big deal. You know, you just spit some saliva in a tube and send it off, and I don't know how they do it, but they come back with all sorts of
0: information. Yeah. Was there anything cool that you found out that you had no idea with your family? It didn't go that deep. No, really? it didn't go that deep. Oh. I mean, you can go
1: really
2: deep if yeah. you want, but I, I didn't choose to do that. You got to pay extra for that or something to you get the, oh, get the got cheap got version. You got, <laughs> got to pay for everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Nothing's free. Come yeah. on. That's, that's
0: true. true. <laughs> well, Dean, we wanted, you to get, we wanted to get you on the podcast because obviously – I mean, you've had your business here in Pendleton right down on Main Street, Dean's Athletic for so long and we just wanted we, we felt like so many people would love to hear more about your story and just your upbringing in Pendleton, born and raised here and, you know, information about the store and just kind of just kind of everything. So, sure. This is your opportunity to to lay it all out there. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Set yeah. the record
1: straight. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, I got to start with this, Dean. Um, for listeners that may not be familiar, can you tell us who the Oregon Outlaws were?
2: Well, it was a uh, 40 and over baseball team that I started, Jesus, it was 23 years ago. I was 45 years old. And um, I'd played with and watched a team from Los Angeles play. One of my best friends is a, a, a player down in los angeles played for the hollywood stars so i went down and watched them played a couple games with them and thought you know i could i could start this 40 and over team up in pendleton it's just who are we going to play yeah so yeah i just put together a bunch of guys a bunch of old baseball players and uh we just started playing the legion teams really that's Uh who we played played against you guys really
1: i remember that so um what was the process like to get all these guys rounded up from baseball retirement it's just a matter of
2: communicating
1: you know you just talk to people you know that
2: that were baseball players and and ask them if they had any inf- interest in playing forty and over baseball and mm-hmm. you know the first year it was we only had about we only had 12 guys it was it took a while to, to get it going i mm-hmm. mean first few years we weren't really that good we played the JV legion teams and yeah we could beat them but you know not the varsity by the by the end of you know, by the end of nine years, we were playing the, you know, hygiene Distributing and Hermiston and, and yeah. beating them. So yeah. we had some good
1: players. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I have to make a shout-out to my dad, who was one of the Oregon Outlaws, Bobby Smith, um, shortstop and pitcher. Is that correct?
2: Well, yeah. Bobby's just one of the greatest baseball players Pendleton's ever produced. You guys may not know that, but – you know, he led Pendleton into a state championship game with Beaverton, a game they really had a chance to win, didn't. They lost it 3-2, to two, but Bobby was really instrumental with uh, Mark Easley was on that team who played for the Outlaws. Rick Schimmel uh, was a terrific baseball player. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Bobby's
1: just about as good as it gets. <laughs> wow. That's high praise. Um, I never got to go to the Arizona trips, but was that how many years were the Outlaws going before you guys got to go do that playing tournament, the big tournament in uh, Arizona? Well, they have what
2: they call the Men's Senior Baseball League World Series each year in in, in Phoenix, and mm-hmm. so anybody can play that's in the MSBL, they call it, and as long as you pay your money, um, which was about 160 bucks a play or something like that, mm-hmm. then they you'd go down there and play. Uh, in competition with uh, players that you are, you know, equal to or something like that. But we, all those games were played in major league spring training facility sites. So if it wasn't the major stadium, that was the minor league fields. And they're just, I mean, they're the best fields I've ever played on. So we went down there for, you know, we went down there for nine years.
1: And what time of year does this tournament take place? October. Okay, so it's playoff baseball time in yeah. the big leagues yeah. as well. Yeah, one of the
2: one of the years uh, we were down there the Yankees were playing the Diamondbacks. It was a
1: 2001
2: World Series and and my friend from Los Angeles was a limousine driver and he drove NBC Sports and he had a couple of tickets to game 1, so I mm-hmm. got to, got to go to game 1 with him in uh, in that seven-game series. The, Dim- the Diamondbacks won. I made to beat the Yankees in game seven. Is
1: that, what year is it? Not 2001. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I never got to go do those Arizona trips, but they still uh, were really profound for me too. Just, I know my dad got to have the excitement of kind of playing baseball again and picking up that dream a little bit. Um, You know, I got to, you know, Wildcats and Sun Devils, Arizona, Arizona State gear Mm -hmm. from him when he came back and you know, I remember going through middle school thinking, well, I'm going to go to Arizona State and be a Sun Devil, So <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's
2: a great place for baseball. The weather's yeah. what you want. You know, it's Right now, 70 and 80 degrees down there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the spring and summer, it gets a little bit warmer. But, man, I'll tell you, it's a place to be year-round if you're a baseball player.
0: That's why I've never understood how Oregon State gets players to go there and, and win championships. Like, I wouldn't want to play baseball <laughs> necessarily well, in the Willamette Valley. You yeah. know what?
2: It comes down to coaching. And they, yeah. They've got a great coach. And it, not my not My grad, no. Pat. Pat, Casey, Pat Casey, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if you have yeah, the right like coach, that. you can you can have a program anywhere. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, he's as good as it gets.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. funny you say that because in the Valley, I mean, growing up in Salem, I remember so many practices indoors and, and uh, just getting rained out. The field seemed like it was always underwater. Um, but still, you found a way to get game ready.
2: well the valley does it rains you know i played a couple years of baseball down there at oregon state and it rained and rained and rained and rained i I, I hated it we practiced (laughs) indoors more than we did outdoors but Mm -hmm. you know about may it finally started getting nice but you're right but now they have you know they have that field turf so Mm -hmm.
0: um drains off if it's
2: yeah if it's raining down there it could rain all day and if it clears up in the afternoon you can play
0: yeah unlike here but Mm -hmm. i just moved back from eugene in january and that was one of the things i just coming from eastern oregon where you have pretty dry climate most of the year living in the willamette valley is pretty rough Mm -hmm. well (laughs) it's wet it's so wet (laughs) it's so wet it's wet but you know you got
2: college sports and there's nothing better than college sports especially in eugene and corvallis it's
0: a fun place it is yeah it's a lot of fun for those reasons
1: it is yep
0: so can you take us back? Um, like I mentioned before, you grew up in Pendleton, born and raised. Can you just paint the picture for the listeners about kind of you growing up here, what you loved about um, growing up in Pendleton, and the sports you played, and kind of all of that? Well,
2: I had I had great parents who supported me um, in everything I did. So I was playing little league baseball and. We played uh, flag football in Pioneer Park in 4th, 5th, and 6th grade. It was organized, no tackle football, but flag football. And then there was City League basketball that was played at um, all the gyms in town. And, and of course, when we were kids, there was just a lot of time to play. We played. You know, we were outside playing sports you know mm-hmm. we weren't inside you know playing video games playing video same. games so yeah. virtual reality <laughs> no, now. right yeah, if oh, we weren't man. playing f- football or baseball or basketball you know we were playing hide and seek or ball tag or kick the can you, you name it I mean we just we played mm-hmm. and I grew up in a time when really I think the greatest coaches uh, that ever coached here I had a, the opportunity to play for those coaches Don Requa in football um Lyle Phelps was my ninth grade coach. Yeah. Uh, he was, he's the best baseball coach I had. Dale Warburg was the basketball coach. Warburg quarterback. You know, yeah, you look, yeah you look at those guys. Uh, Warburg, see, re-coached re- 36 years, won 24 league champions. Uh, Warburg coached, I think, 24 years and had 14 league champions or playoff teams that got into the state tournament. And then Pendleton Baseball um, has played for several state titles. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Lyle Phelps was the one that started Babe Ruth Baseball in about 1962, I think it was. They built the field at Bob White Park in about 1965. High school played, before that, they played all their games in Roundup Stadium. You guys probably don't know that.
3: No.
1: You know, actually, uh, it's, <laughs> I, the only way I would uh, would know that is my, my grandpa tells stories about growing up. When they moved to the Pendleton area, they lived out in Wreath, And he, he talked about that, uh, showing up with his big old... Bat for baseball practice and trying to hit balls across the roundup grounds or whatever. Yeah,
0: they actually played games in, in the roundup grounds. Yeah, not, not at the field. No, itself. in the roundup grounds. Yeah, that's where the wow. high school
2: played in, in the '60s. Um, I can remember being a bat boy and watching games and chasing foul balls. But home plate was down on the would be the the southwest corner. The left field fence was the bucking chutes, <laughs> which was probably about 290, 300 feet away. And then the mm-hmm. right field fence was you know way down there on the east end, mm-hmm. which was about probably 450 feet away. So no home runs over <laughs> oh, Nobody could the poke fence, one but out that way. Yeah, yeah, that's but hilarious. Pendleton yeah. had great baseball in those days. They played for the state title mm-hmm. in 1963. Mm. 1963, they played for the state title against uh, Madison, who had... Uh, a great player by the name of Rick Wise. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but uh, he pitched in the major leagues. Anyway, uh, Madison beat Pendleton in the state final 5-0. This Rick Wise pitched a no-hitter. He had a couple home runs in, in in Major League Baseball in one game with a no-hitter at the same time. I mean, he was, wow. he was the real deal. So, yeah. you know, Pendleton baseball has got a really long, rich, successful history.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say so. The formula is probably too complicated to be able to to explain over a, a podcast. But um, one thing that I like to talk about is um, what what do you think the value is of that player development from an early age? I think it's been said that you know sometimes those groups of of ball players that come through um, really they say you know, Little League is is where the coaching and the discipline kind of has to start with those guys. And then by the time they get to high school, they've almost kind of uh, had many years to kind of make good or bad habits. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I I believe that 100%. It's all all coaching. You know, when you start playing, you want to learn the fundamentals. And we had terrific uh, Little League coaches uh, back in the day. Those guys were really fundamental type coaches, spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time learning everything you know I mean you just did and then we watched a lot of games in person and on TV but we also had a really good group of athletes Mm -hmm. um, that grew up together with you know great parents so we had a lot of support and we had really good facilities we had really good coaches we had good uniforms Mm -hmm. we had good equipment and we had good athletes so it's a combination of you know if you want to be good You know, you got to play, you got to practice, you got to put the time in and Mm -hmm. then you need good coaches. I mean, good coaches make a a big difference. You guys know that, I know you know that. Mm -hmm. And then the facilities and the support, you know, the support of the parents. I mean, we
1: had all that stuff going for us. Yeah, yeah, the parents is another big factor that we we don't talk about enough either. Just, um, you know, supporting the coaches in what the program is, uh, getting their kids the right, uh, you know, diet and lifestyle outside of school and practice activities.
0: Just getting their kids to all the practices yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a struggle when oh, you're younger, yeah. you know, middle school, high school.
1: Yeah, maybe a little discipline to make grades if, if that's a challenge. Um, I mean, it, it does. It takes a, a formula with many pieces, I think, to be really great.
0: Well, there, yeah, there has to be so much buy-in. I mean, I think back to, you know, when I was doing all-star uh, all star baseball, and I, I, have, I have no idea how my pa- parents were able to have me play All Stars and travel around and stay in all the hotels, oh, yeah. and I'm like, how did you guys do that and work? And it's it's crazy to me. And there's lots of parents who who are doing the same thing, yeah. and it does really take that buy in and the great coaching, um, because when you have great coaches too, the parents want to you know, you know want those kids to follow good leaders. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all wrapped up in one thing.
2: Yeah, and you need
0: you need mm-hmm. commitment from the kids.
2: I mean, when we played back little league back in the in the '60s, there was like twelve major league little league teams. Yeah. This year, <laughs> this year there were two. Wow! So, I mean, the the uh, participation in little league was much greater um, as far as numbers were concerned mm-hmm. back in back in those days, and. Um, but yeah, it's commitment on everybody's part.
1: And maybe we could speak a little bit to the why. So if I'm a parent, maybe I didn't grow up playing sports. I don't really know a lot about it. But uh, you know, Dean here is pitching to me that it's a it's a valuable asset. Why? What, what makes sports um, valuable? Well, it teaches you so many
2: things about life. You know, there's in in, in sports when you're playing games, there's no guarantee that you're going to win. You know, so you're out there competing. You don't know if you're going to win or lose, and then you have to deal with all the successes and all the failures that come with, uh, you know, with being an athlete. Mm-hmm. It, it builds camaraderie with your your teammates and the kids you grow up with. Uh, a lot of self discipline, a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment. You know, all those things that make a, a pretty good person go into athletics. And you guys know because you played. I mean, it, it takes a real uh, dedication and commitment on the part of players coaches parents
1: everyone that's involved Mm -hmm. i agree and and i think when you talk about those those great teams that have come through um, i think it's you know pertinent to maybe talk about the spectrum because you know really you could say i'm a baseball player you can show up to tryouts you can make the team and and you know have a good time or whatever but um, if your goal is to be great you know, it really takes that extra level of commitment. Maybe you got to practice outside of just the basic school provided practice. Maybe uh, your parents are able to invest, you, you know, in you with some lessons. Um, you know, maybe you need to evaluate some of your lifestyle choices. And if, if uh, being a great athlete is important to you, you may have to make some sacrifices or changes. And um, I just think that's you know, some important things to talk about as well.
2: Well, it takes all that stuff you just said. <clears throat> but it, it takes practice. I mean, you got to get out and play and you got to practice and you got to put the time in outside of practice. Sure. if you want to be good at anything, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's sports or music or acting or farming or whatever you're good at. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be good at something, you got to work at it. Sure. That's the bottom line. There's no shortcuts. It's hard work. Yeah. You know, whatever you, you know whatever you're going to be good at, You got to work at it. Mm -hmm. Got to do it. Absolutely. You guys are, you guys know that, and you're learning that. You know, you're both young professionals. You're getting it figured out. That if you want something, you want to be successful. You got to work. Nobody's going to give you anything.
0: Ain't that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh,
1: maybe that gives us a chance to segue into some other things. Uh, For those that maybe aren't familiar, Dean's Pendleton Athletic. Um, Take us back to the start of that. How did you decide? um, Well, I'm going to open an athletic retail store
2: well there was a a great store in portland called Kaplan's back in the 60s and 70s that i spent time in when i was in portland and um they just had all sorts of athletic gear that every kid wanted to have and you know growing up in pendleton that had a pretty good relationship with you know with the moms and the dads and the kids and the grandmas and the grandpas and they're just was an opportunity for an athletic store in Pendleton at the time. So I just dove head first into
1: it, not knowing anything. Was that, um, what did you do for work before that? Was that kind of early in your working career or?
2: Yeah, it was, you know, I came out of college, I actually sold real estate for a while. Hey, yeah, you know, which, shout out. You know, probably, <laughs> probably should have stayed in that, but I, you know, I just wasn't comfortable with that. Uh, where I learned to work though was, uh, working for Budweiser. I drove a Mm. a Budweiser beer truck. Okay. And, and that's where I learned to work. I only did it for a year, but you know, every, every day you got to do your job and you got to call on the same people and you know, you got to represent the company and you got to represent the product and you have to deliver the goods. And Mm -hmm. you know, there's good days and bad days. And there's some people that are really difficult to deal with. I could name (laughs) a few right here. And And then there's others that are, you know, great to deal with, Uh but it's just you know it's just part of the work ethic. Um, yeah. No matter what you're doing, um, you you got to work hard, and if you want to be successful, you've got a good chance if you do work hard and you go to work every day and you take care of business. So, there just was an opportunity uh, at that time for for a sporting goods store in town. So I
0: I went for it. It's interesting to hear <clears throat> you talk about Kaplan's and and that memory for you growing up as a kid because. I don't know if you recognize or realize the impact that your store had on has had on so many kids in this community but it really is this like magical business that when you walk into it you know especially because you remember so many kids names and you make it a point to Mm -hmm. and we all felt so known by you and that was a thing for me when I walked in that I appreciated so much but then then you've got the wall of fame <laughs> yeah. yeah that yeah. it's like if you if you end up on the wall of fame like your your world is made <laughs> yeah the wall yeah. of fame
2: was a big deal and you know my mom um she was just one of the the best moms. I mean, she knew everybody. She she knew their names. She could remember their names. She knew my friends. She knew their names. She knew their positions. I mean, she just was good at all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've always been pretty good at at names. You yeah, know, I remember names because I know it makes people feel good when when you can call them by name. You know, wherever you see them, whether it's in my store or on the sidewalk or at a ball game or somewhere else. And mm-hmm. and so. Um, that was always important to me, and mm-hmm. um, so I just wor- worked really hard at trying to remember names, you yeah. know, and getting to know kids. And you know, I went to, and then, and then outside of work, I went to games, you know, mm-hmm. I. I ran wiffle ball for 35 years, you know, a plastic bat and ball league for five and six year olds. So, you know, I got to, got to start knowing them early and then, you know, I'd watch them through junior high and then high school and then, you know, you guys included. Yeah. So, and then I, you know, I was involved in youth football. I was a coach for a few years and I was on the board for about 15 years and, and then I was on the basketball youth board for about 20 years and mm-hmm. coached a team, the Lakers and, and then I was on the Babe Ruth board three different times and coached, you know, a lot of different kids there, too. So it's mm-hmm. just knowing your community. It, it's really yeah. whatever job you're in, you got a lot better chance to be
0: successful if you know the people in your community. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I did. Well, I feel like for me in real estate, that was a big reason that I wanted to move back to Pendleton, Pendleton too, is because... You know, I did grow up here and I know so many people and it's easy to have those connections rather than like really having to market yourself and sell yourself to say if I would have stayed out in Eugene, you know, all my business comes through marketing and not really knowing people. Whereas I'm a relationship driven person. And so coming back to my hometown, I mean, you know, I can do a lot of deals with people that I know and love and it just, I don't know, it's it's well, great you you
2: know them, and they know you, and there's trust. You know, they trust you, and you trust them, and uh, yeah, I mean, it just comes down to relationships, and, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be out beating the street. You know, you could be at a ball game talking to somebody and find out that there's a house for sale somewhere, or they might ask you some questions, and you're going to answer that, or you could be out on the golf course, or you could be at the grocery store. I mean, <laughs> the bottom, the great thing about Pendleton is, <clears throat> is it's it's a small Friendly little town that when you come back after college, um, whatever field you're in, um, you've got a chance to be successful if, if, if you work hard. That's I mean, so true. You guys, yeah. you guys both are figuring that out right now. It just takes time to figure out what you want to do.
1: Yeah, and I think... I'm just thinking a little bit about, you know, people say things like, well, it's not who you know, it's what you know, or, oh, it's politics, this and that about the way things go. But I think that's almost a cop out in some sense, because I don't see the problem with harboring relationships with people. And um, I think it's you just nailed it. That's the key to doing anything. And, you know, um, here we've shown it. I loved going into Dean's Athletic and, uh, you know, Dean says, hi, Ryan, he knows me. Uh, you know, you, you feel like a pretty big deal if you might see a little clipping on the wall. And <laughs> I just came in to get my catcher's glove yeah. relaced, but there I am. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: the Wall of Fame was, uh, that, was that was a good thing. You know, I never knew how that was going to work out. But, you know, I figured out early on that if you, you know, you, you cut out articles and pictures of the kids you're, you're, you're selling to or working mm-hmm. with, you know, it makes them feel good. It makes their parents feel good. It makes their friends feel good. And, but the bottom line is, it, you know, it just you see your picture on that wall. It's like, all right, yeah, it's pretty cool deal. <laughs> that is pretty cool. I'm on the wall of fame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it really is yeah. true. It was yeah. like it was magical growing yeah. up. <laughs> and yeah. you know, Pendleton's always had pretty good sp- sports and athletic teams. They, mm-hmm. they they really have. I mean, in my lifetime, um, so you know, it's nice. It's nice to be recognized mm-hmm. um, by old people and
1: young people and <laughs> athletes and you name it. feels good.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: take us through the process of getting Mr. Requa put down on Main Street, if you would. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> going back to, to my
2: high school teams, I, I was on some really good teams, and you guys probably don't know any of it, but um, playing for Reek, um, he, was, he was just – I mean, he was demanding. He was tough. <laughs> would, would, would he be able to coach today? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> he he heard, could, he could coach. <laughs> he could coach, but he'd have to change his ways. You know, he was, yeah. he was a hard ass. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, if you didn't get things done right, he was going to let you know about it. <laughs> but um, the, the teams I played on, um, like I said, Reek won 24 league championships in, in 36 years, which is, you know, it's pretty amazing and he stayed here his whole career 36 years most coaches don't do that especially these days he had plenty of chances to leave but he didn't and to a lot of us he was a, a really important figure and playing football for Pendleton was a big big deal um, it still is but you know in, in our days growing up i mean being a football player was it was fun and we won we won a lot when i played we we won three league championships um, the group of guys I played with—I believe it's the last time we were league champions in football, basketball, and baseball—all in the, in the same season. I don't think it's been done since. Mm-hmm. It's 1970. Wow. It's 51 years ago. <laughs> so, Impressive. so we had we had some really good athletes that uh-huh. played three sports. You know, nowadays mm-hmm. you you might play two, and a lot might just play one. But in those days, we had several guys that played three sports, and a lot of those guys are still around in this linebackers club, which I'm, I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And we started uh, we started the linebackers club to raise money for, for Pendleton High School football back in mm-hmm. 1984. You guys probably don't know this either, but we had five, <laughs> five alumni football games. Did you know that? I did not, no. So we started out with a $500 scholarship, and after five years of playing football, we realized that we probably shouldn't be doing that because too, too many guys were getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Explain that to your boss on Monday, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we just kept going, and then we had a golf tournament. We raised money that way, and yeah. then we started the Hall of Fame, which really uh, jump-started us into some some pretty good fundraising efforts. And uh, the guys that played football for Reek were were dedicated Reekwall lovers. I mean, they they loved Reek, and so we decided, hey, let's build a statue of Reek. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh-huh. You know, let's let's do it. So um, the guys on the board: Rod Anderson is a teammate of mine. Tom Melton is a teammate. Uh, Doug Doyle is a teammate. Um, just trying to think. Um, Bruce Hendricks wasn't a teammate. He's a little bit older. Jack Shaw's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Rosenberg was a teammate. So we've got all these guys connected to uh, Pendleton High School football, and we just said, "Hey, let's you know, let's try and raise some money for for a a, a, a statue of Reek, a bronze statue, mm-hmm. and a guy that played." ten years before us uh, Chuck Kearney <clears throat> lined up a uh, bronze artist in Troutdale by the name of rip Caswell and he's he's a big t- he's a big timer I mean uh, if he would be like a professional athlete I mean he's 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 the real deal and so uh, Chuck Kearney started talking to rip and interviewed we interviewed some other a, a bronze sculptors too but mm-hmm. but rip was the best and we just decided you know we're going to go with rip caswell it's going to be more money than someone else but you know what let's let's get the best mm-hmm. and do it right mm-hmm. and let's do it right <clears throat> so we found out that it was going to cost somewhere around eighty thousand bucks <clears throat> and so we just started putting out information to our uh, members of the linebackers and guys that had played for reek and boy we just started (laughs) getting some big donations Uh terry rasmussen uh who bought the scoreboard down at bob yeah i remember that she Mm -hmm. she gave us a big donation mike bridges was a quarterback gave us a big donation mike temple was a halfback in the 60s gave us a big donation Mm -hmm. anyway we ended up raising a hundred and ten thousand dollars in about nine months wow Wow. and we decided we weren't gonna start the bronze until we had that money raised but but seven to nine months later you know we knew it was going to happen so so we went ahead and uh hired rip and he started building this bronze and it took about i'm going to say it took about eight months for it to, to come to fruition but we we had to you know, we had to pick a spot. <clears throat> we talked about down by the Roundup Grounds. We talked about up at the high school. And then we talked about the spot that it's in right now on Main Street. And we just thought that Main Street was the best spot. I mean, a lot of people said, well, why don't you have it at the uh, up at the high school? Well, not a lot of people would see it if it was up at the high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here on Main Street, I mean, I see it almost every day. You know, yeah. when I'm downtown doing things, I yeah. mean, I do, I see it. And and the fact that it looks so much like Rick, it's like, I walk by and I look at it and think, oh, my God, that looks just like Rick. I can't believe it. Morning, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm working hard, Rick. I'm 145 pounds now. But, <laughs> you know, we just, we had, and then we had to, you know, it had to be approved by the city council. We, yeah. did, we did everything we were supposed to do the right way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the council approved it. The Arts Commission approved it. Everybody approved it. And so um, that's where we are able to put it. And it's, it's in a terrific spot. And it's a wonderful, wonderful bronze. Yeah, it is. What a treasure. Yeah.
1: Yep. Well, so I guess uh, we need to talk a little bit about what the Pendleton Linebackers Club is, Dean. I've played in one of the golf tournaments before, but um, what's, what kind of work is the Linebackers Club doing and, and what's that all about? Well, it's a fundraiser for, I'm going to say for 30 years,
2: it was just for football, raised money for football. And we raised our money through, um, like I was telling you, the alumni football game, and then through golf tournaments, and that's and that's how we did it. And then Tom Melton, who's the uh, local historian, I mean he's Pendleton's Buckaroo historian. This guy Tom, of course, he's one of my best friends. He's got scrapbooks. I'm not kidding. He's he's been scrapbooking since he's about seven eight years old on everything Pendleton, every wow. sport. So you go into his house, he's got he's got scrapbooks this high in about nine rows over <laughs> it, it, it's unreal yeah I mean, he's got the stuff you guys played and he does that's wild and and so tom came up with this idea hey let's you know let's start this buckaroo football hall of fame and so we we started the buckaroo football hall of fame and it's a big banquet that we hold down at the convention center and we honor uh, those buckaroo players Uh, before us and after us with induction into this this hall of fame Mm -hmm. and it just turned into a a terrific fundraiser I mean we had donations from all over from all these ex-players that loved playing for reek and they came back and they go to the banquet and then on Friday night and that was a great great evening of fun and 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 we started that. I'm trying to think. I should have brought me information, but we started that about 21 years ago. I'm thinking about 20 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so that's been going on for 20 21 years. And then on Saturday we held a, a golf tournament out at the country club, which is now the golf course at Birch Creek, yep, or Birch Creek, yep. or out at Wildhorse. And it's just a, a terrific weekend for you know former Buck Roof athletes now and. And then a good weekend to golf if you want to play golf. I mean, you've played in it, so you know it's yeah. it's a, it's a good weekend. But I, I'm thinking about <clears throat> maybe six years ago. Then we opened up the Hall of Fame for more than than just football. We thought, okay, hey, let's. And Tom, this was Tom's idea again. Tom Melton said, hey, let's let's induct some women. Let's induct some baseball players and mm-hmm. some. Uh, basketball players and some swimmers and some golfers and so it's just morphed into this you know buckaroo hall of fame and Mm -hmm. and you know you couldn't ask for anybody better than tom melton to uh, have the history and the background that he has he was you know he had a radio show i don't know if you guys know this but for years he broadcast sports but he was really a terrific interviewer, you know, doing the stuff that you guys are doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I remember interviewing with him when I was yeah, younger. I mean, he's, he's really good because he has connections to everybody, yeah. around not just in Pendleton, but around the state. Mm-hmm. And, and he's a, a terrific conversationalist, and he listens and he asks good questions. But Tom's really uh, an important
1: person in our, our linebackers club. I think that's great. I, I love the idea of um, you know raising money for scholarships and um, an excuse for guys to get together because, boy, life sure gets in the way, doesn't it? Well, everybody can get too busy at times, but you know one of the good things about our, our
2: club is we do have scholarships, and we started with a $500 REQUA scholarship, and, and now it's up to $10,000. Wow. So that, you know, the the top football player who's on his way to college has a good chance to win a $10,000 scholarship. Um, we have an Alex Stuvlin scholarship, who was our early president, a teammate of mine that died about 16 years ago, a sudden death. But So we named a scholarship after him. That's a $4,000 scholarship. And then we've had the Schindler Bunch scholarship, which is you know a ten dollars and $15,000 scholarship. We now have a, a ladies' scholarship we're going to give to a young gal, which is going to be a $2,000 scholarship. We haven't come up with a name yet. We've got one, but we haven't okayed it with everybody. So, um, And then we've got another scholarship called the Jim Rackley Scholarship, which is a $2,000 scholarship. Uh, and Rackley played for the Bucks and graduated in 64. So um, we do a lot with the scholarships. You're right. Oh, that's
0: awesome. Um, I can't believe that was 16 years ago with, with Alex. Yeah. Wow. 2006. Um, so going back to how competitive things were when you were growing up, something I always think about is the ri- rivalry that we had with Hermiston, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which yes. is different these days, um, different leagues. Um, and I don't, I haven't been in Pendleton. I just moved back in January, but, um, so what's your kind of take on, on how that's changed and, and what it was like when you were because um, it was still very heated when I when I was you know when I graduated it, back in 2010 that's a great question
2: Shannon it's a great rivalry and for those of us that played in it we understand it it, mm-hmm. it means a lot and it was fun and whenever you went to a football game this the stands were filled up whenever you went to a, a basketball game you, you couldn't hear yourself and. A baseball game I mean there. Are, it's it's. whenever you played Hermiston it didn't matter if it was marbles on Main Street it's, <laughs> it's your hated rival down the road and it just gave so many great memories to really both Hermiston and Pendleton yeah uh, people and it it really means a lot to a lot of us and I think the problem now is Hermiston has grown so much but big deal. I mean, we could still beat them in football, basketball, and baseball. I mean, they could beat us too. But you know, for <laughs> years they, they never beat us in football. Mm-hmm. But but anyway, I think because of the the people in leadership, uh, they don't understand the importance of that rivalry. I was down watching Hermiston play a year ago, two years ago, before COVID, and I was sitting with the uh, the old Hermiston coach Dave Ego, and. The principal of Hermiston came up and was sitting with us. It was a league game between Hermiston and Kennewick, or somebody over in Washington, because they're in that Washington league. Mm -hmm. I said to the principal, I said, hey, why don't you guys play Pendleton in basketball? And he didn't have a really good answer. I said, look at this crowd. I said, there might be 300 people here. This is a league game. I said, if you're playing Pendleton, this gym would be packed. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't be any room to sit or stand. And so I think the leadership of both schools, for for whatever reason, uh, just should be scheduling games because it is a great rivalry. But I think to them, it's it's not that big of a deal. But for those of us that played in that rivalry, it's a big deal. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's a huge deal. I can remember... I was a junior in basketball. We were 15-0. and 0. We were undefeated. It was the last game of the season. We'd already clinched a berth into the state tournament. In those days, they took the top two teams at the state tournament, mm-hmm. 16-team tournament at Memorial Coliseum. Hermiston was in second place, <clears throat> and they they had to beat us to go in as number two. <laughs> and, and, the, and it was in the old gym in those days, you know, one side with all the stands and, and just the the, the players on the other side, but it was so noisy during introductions that I, I couldn't hear anybody's name being introduced, and that's just the way that whole game went. It was a close game, back and forth, and they pulled it out and beat us right at the end, and ended up going in as a, as the number two team into, into the state tournament. So uh, it was a great win for them, but you know, the first time around, we played them in Pendleton. Both both of us were undefeated. <clears throat> we were both six and zero going into that game, so it was a big game in the armory and i had really probably my best high school game uh in my career at that at that point um i ended up i went to the free throw line 17 times in that game and made 17 free throws wow, i ended the game nice. with 29 points and we ended up winning by six points 66 to
0: 60. <laughs> you must have been getting beat up going to the free well, throw well I, I
2: i you know what i i I drove to the hoop a lot, and I got I got fouled a lot, and I knew how to draw fouls, and I just happened to be on that night, and along with the rest of my teammates. I mean, we had a, a really good team that year. It's, uh, we went into the state tournament and won our first two games. It's, I think it's the last time Pendleton's been into the semifinals, and um, and then we and then we lost to Jesuit and the Semis and and K Falls in in the third place game, but we really had a good team and a good group of athletes, like I've been telling you. So, but that's a great question. That that Hermiston Pendleton rivalry, would tell us. You know, of course Pendleton. We started playing them in 1922, and. We didn't lose a game until 1984. Which oh, was, which really? Was, yeah, which, I didn't was, which that. was long after I, I graduated. That right. sounds
1: like a lopsided rivalry. Well,
2: <laughs> shout out
0: to '84 graduates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then they lost again in '99. It took another 15 years. But now, you know, Hermiston—they—they they probably beat us. I'm going to say 12 out of the last 18 times we played, something like that. Probably. I don't know. We yeah. lost to them my senior. year. Yeah, it, it, mm. you know, it, it was happens. Close, it, it does happen, but. Yeah. Uh, Rick used to tell us, <clears throat> one of his pep talks before the Hermiston game was, you know what, you guys, most of you guys are going to be living around here the rest of your life. If you lose to these guys, you're going to hear about <laughs> it at parties, <laughs> at weddings, at funerals. You're going to hear about it the rest of your life, so don't be losing to the Bulldogs. That's funny. Oh, man. And that's we stupid.
0: were lucky enough not to lose. We could have, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean... That's all I heard growing up. You know, I grew up around Kelly Fox a lot, and oh, oh yeah, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> I heard yeah. about the rivalries <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, well, so to to come back and hear that it's kind of died off a little bit, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, well, it ended really. I mean,
2: since Hermanson has gone into that at Washington League, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't schedule
0: Pendleton in, in anything that I know of. Well, I figured that they would schedule non-conference, and whoever I was talking to, they are like, no, not really. They should. I know. <laughs> we need to get a even petition going. Yeah, we do. <laughs> even if they, right. Even though we're a smaller school, it, the rivalry needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, Pendleton would hold their own against Hermiston. They mm-hmm. really would. I think so. Yeah, we would. <laughs> well, it's just too important, you know. When you play Hermiston, that, that's the thing. Uh, the level of competition doesn't matter what your record is, whose record is yeah. better or not. Each team is playing with an extra sense of motivation
1: to oh. win that ball game. That fire! I wish you could harness that because, oh man, if you could play every game like those rivalry games, boy, you'd be an unstoppable force, wouldn't you? Yeah, and that's you know that's what it takes. You got to be motivated to to compete mm-hmm. at <laughs> a high too, level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was hoping to tell a story um, and then maybe get to uh, maybe a story that you have, Dean, or some advice that you could give. I guess I feel like we don't talk enough about what happens to an athlete when their athletic career has ended. Um, Personally, that was a huge life change for me. I guess, um, you know, from the time I was probably five, six years old, if somebody asked me who I was, it was probably, you know, a baseball player first, if not amongst the top things, you know, okay, I'm also, you know, a son, a student, but I'm a baseball player. You know, you see, I'm always wearing a ball cap, uh, playing baseball video games, watching baseball games, practicing, you know, getting lessons on the side outside of the regular season when I could. Uh, It really became a a main piece of my identity, I guess, to be a baseball player. And, And I think it's a great, it was a great thing Um, just love being around the ballpark, the atmosphere, everything to do with being a baseball player. Um, but I had to face what we all eventually face as an athlete, which is, um, the, the way that that comes to an end. And for me, I played through high school and then I, I got us actually the, the Phelps Memorial Scholarship, uh, to play baseball at Blue Mountain. Mm -hmm. And I played my first year. I decided not to go back my second year. I felt like my body was getting banged up, catching double headers. My, I wasn't going to, you know, baseball was not going to pay the bills, unfortunately. Um, and even though it was my choice to leave and not play that second year, I don't think it made that transition any easier. I think when you spend, you know, 15 years of your life and that's a key piece of your identity and all of a sudden that's gone, um, that was really hard for me. That, that first season that baseball rolled around and I wasn't playing – Um, I was depressed. I remember having uh, vivid dreams about being around the baseball field. One that recurred often was I was a catcher and I was in the dugout, but I could not get my gear on fast enough to get out on the field and play. Hmm. And that happened to me over and over. Um, And so I decided to focus on, you know, school and making sure I was getting good grades. But I also, um, I remember signing up for the the boxing blowout that the rodeo team put on. Oh, I remember that. I don't know if they still do it, but Blue Mountain, the rodeo team had a fundraiser every year that was a boxing blowout. Anybody could sign up and they would just take the list of everybody that uh, decided to join and they'd try to match you up against somebody that was your closest size or whatever. And even though I knew that this boxing blowout was not some major athletic accomplishment. It became really important to me, I realized, um, to kind of accept that transition. It gave me a goal and a purpose outside of just uh, the classroom. You know, I had a, a reason to continue to, to run a lot, lift weights. Um, I actually had a good buddy who had done some uh, MMA, mixed martial arts stuff. He'd been in, in a few fights and so, he was able to be there for me uh, you know hitting mitts and just having conversations about combat sports so shout out to steve thank you um so i guess i got a, a little bit hyped up about something that maybe wasn't a huge event um but I, I ended up you know winning that boxing match and if you haven't watched they're like Three one minute rounds of boxing, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're in the ring again, toast it quick. Oh my <laughs> goodness, yeah. But it was, it was a lot of fun. I won. And uh, for me, it was just a, an internal victory to feel part of that transition to being more than a baseball player, which was really hard to accept. Um, but something that we all have to kind of face. So do you have a story or maybe some, some tips you could give to somebody who's going through that?
2: Well, <laughs> high school sports, there's, there's really not anything better than high school sports unless you're good enough to go on and, and, and be a college player and a successful one or a professional. I mean, some, some people can do that, but most can't. So somewhere along the line, we all have to uh, quit playing the sport that we grew up loving, and it's not easy. It's difficult, and so you have to find different ways to channel your your energy. You know, I played basketball until I was fifty-five. Out at the club, we had some great games. You know, some lunch games, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I just I just kept playing because I enjoyed it. I played baseball until I was sixty-five. You know, up until about three years ago. I was going to say, his (laughs) advice would be start a baseball team for (laughs) 40-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, you need to start a team. (laughs) You know, it's hard to quit because it's something you grew up loving. Mm -hmm. And so it's not easy. But, you know, all of us eventually have to, you know, quit playing. And there's you just have to channel your energy or your love of baseball into something else that you enjoy, whatever it is, you know. Mm Uh, you know if you have kids you might end up coaching your kids and teaching them the things that you learned and then teaching them other things that maybe you, you weren't taught along the way that you learned so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for me it was just staying involved in the community you know I grew up we had this wonderful park and recreation director in Pendleton by the name of Ed Johnson and he just you know he had flag football in the parks he had uh, youth basketball in the, in the in the grade school gyms and then we had little League baseball so I always, I always said the happiest place in town for me was the Little League Park. <laughs> and then it became the rack, you know, with mm-hmm. the basketball gym. So yeah. it's not easy to, to quit playing. And so if you continue, can continue playing or coaching or being involved, you know, as an administrator or director, um, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, um, if you still think you got it, you could start a it over to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was that was a
0: really hard thing when when COVID started is that oh, you know, yeah. you try to be involved in in these different things to stay active or whatever it is if it's you know, going to the gym for CrossFit or going to the rack to play ball or in like all of a sudden we didn't have those outlets for those types of things. And that for yeah. me is what made COVID like so much harder yeah. than than just staying home. Well, you have to find
2: things to do. Um, You know, for me as an athlete, you know, I'm now that I'm not playing baseball or or basketball anymore. You know, I finally decided I'd take up golf. I told my dad years ago that when I quit playing baseball, I'd start playing golf. Mm -hmm. So I started about two years ago. So (laughs) golf, I'm telling you, it's a tough, tough game. I don't, I don't care. who yeah. you are it's a really hard game
1: it is a tough game and i actually had one more story dean with golf that involves you i'd hope to share today so um i don't know if you even remember this this was several several years ago um me you and chuck jensen would go play a couple rounds Um, at the country club before work in the morning Mm -hmm. and I was pretty new to golf like you said you know a man without a sport no more baseball and I started to catch the golf fever a little bit Um, but at that time that we played together I hadn't been doing it very long I was really passionate about it but I didn't know much (laughs) (laughs) and so uh, you know the three of us go play at the country club step up to that first tee box and I, I'm thinking, well, geez, my advantage here is my size and my age and my strength. I'm just going to outmuscle my way down the course <laughs> with these guys, yeah. and <laughs> parts. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, Dean steps up there and stripes one, you know, I don't know, maybe one fifty or one eighty, but it's just truer than hell right down the middle of the fairway and i step up and smash one i think you know maybe i got a 50 or 75 yards on you but i'm also you know 80 yards to the right in the wrong fairway <laughs> and so that's cool yeah it is and uh, you know I, I i was humbled by that experience because it was all day in fact i don't know that i've hit, seen anybody hit a three wood better and more consistently than chuck has and um but all day long i was just crossing your guys back and forth zigzagging down fairways and Mm -hmm. i'm glad we didn't keep a scorecard because it wasn't even close (laughs) and that was a humbling experience um to learn you know about what it takes to be a good golfer which is not strength and toughness as much as it is just um, you know mental clarity uh, focus and and being really smooth and, and precise
2: well, golf is a game where you have to concentrate on every single shot, yeah.
1: and if you
2: don't, you're going to end up over in the weeds yeah. or, or the creek. That's <laughs> just yeah. the way it is, and there's nothing you can do about it.
1: <laughs> oh man, it's so true.
2: It's a <laughs> tough <laughs> game. It
0: is it makes you crazy. And
1: it does. Yeah. And it's a lot more expensive when you're not very good because you're losing balls like you
0: wouldn't believe. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to find a few too. Got to get after it. That's right. Anytime you go in confident to playing golf it never ends up i feel like no you got to come in humble
2: yeah well i i admire the the good golfers that we have out at the country club i mean they've been playing for a lot of years it's 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 not an easy game and it takes a long time to figure out how to hit the ball straight and then you got to make putts and you got to make chips and it's just a hard hard game so i respect those guys that are and gals that are good golfers.
1: Yeah. yep. Yeah, it surely is a fun game and, and a frustrating one at that.
0: So I've got a few more questions. Do you, do you have a few more? Go ahead. All right. So if Dean Fouquet wouldn't have owned your shop, mm-hmm. what do you think you would have done? Do you think you would have stuck with real estate? Or do you think no, you would, would have done no, something else? I, I,
2: no, I would have been a coach, probably a teacher coach somewhere. I went back actually and got a degree in education. I have a degree in education oh, really? too. Business I have a degree in business administration and, and business education. So okay. I, I could do that's what I would do. I'd yes. coach. Especially with all the money these guys are making these days, huh? <laughs> oh, isn't <that> yeah. something? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's unreal, unreal, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, and working with kids, I mean, that's what I like to do is play. You yeah. Know? So Probably should have been a grade school PE teacher. That'd be the best job around, you know, working with all those little kids that still like you and don't think they know everything. <laughs> yeah. Does sound, that yeah. does sound fun. And then coach
0: a little bit on the
3: side. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: That's a good gig. Mm-hmm. Um, another question I have, I love seeing you drive around in your white truck around oh, yeah. town. Yeah. <laughs> how, how long yeah. have you had that little white truck and what is there some type of story behind that? That's a
2: great question, Shannon. I'm glad you asked it, yeah. Well, one of my teammates and one of my very best friends, Vic Galing, <clears throat> who I think was the greatest punt returner in Pendleton High School history. Oh. And, I, of course, I didn't start watching until about 1961. But Vic was a th- three-sport athlete, football, basketball, and baseball, a great teammate and a great friend of mine, and is now a dentist. And anyway, he bought this little white pickup in 1988. He was living in Portland, and he drove it for about three months, and he he drove it one day across this bridge in Portland when it was a little icy out, and he did a cookie in it, and he thought, I'm gonna get get rid of that thing. So he asked me if I wanted to buy it, and I said I would, so in 1988, I paid $3,000 for that little white pickup, (laughs) and I love that little white pickup. I've had some people say that I'm gonna be buried at Bob White Park. In my pickup under home plate, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a great little pickup, and you know, I I know I I could have sold it a lot of different times yeah. and and to get something else, but you know, for me, it's great. I can haul stuff to the dump, and mm-hmm. I can uh, haul my lawnmower around in it, and I just. I just enjoy it, so <laughs> that's why I've kept it. I would never sell a car, but my wife makes me sell my cars. <laughs> I had a van, too, that was a lot of fun, <laughs> and that lasted about 20 years. So, What's the mileage on that pickup? No, oh, <laughs> oh, gosh. gosh. I, you know, it's not that much. I think it's, it's all like, city miles, Yeah, right? I think it's like 153,000 miles. But yeah. that's just up and that's downtown, actually, yeah, huh? Yeah. That's not bad. It's been to the beach one time, but for the most part, it's right here in town. Uh-huh.
1: Wow. Hmm. <laughs>
2: Like,
0: we, we love watching you jet around in it. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. Well, I don't care if I bump into anything. You know, that's I, true. Had, I had a guy or a gal back into me one day in a parking lot, uh, which was no big deal. Put a little dent in it, but it, you know, it didn't. wasn't enough to to do anything about. It, so you're like, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, it's just, just my <laughs> light truck. It's just my pickup. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh.
0: That's funny. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, I have a question for you. This goes back to you know your your role as an entrepreneur and a business owner. I think um, one goal of our podcast is just to be able to to share the wisdom of the people that we have conversations with, and we've certainly done that today. But I wanted to talk to you about um, some of the challenges that we're facing in today's economy. You know, business um, business men and women today are having to deal with uh, a runaway inflation there's staffing issues, um, you know, governmental authorities with changing regulations that we have to adapt to. Um, You know, I could really go down to quite a laundry list of challenges that that business leaders face today. Is there a piece of advice that you'd like to pick um, to kind of share with anybody who's trying to to go through this right now?
2: Well, I look at how difficult it is with COVID and all the rules and regulations, and like you said, inflation, the cost of everything, and thinking, man, I'm glad I was in business when I was, because I wouldn't <laughs> want to be in business right now. It's difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to, again, you have to find something you enjoy and, you, and you're good at and you're passionate about, and then you have to be willing to p- put the time and effort in, and, and then you got to hope that the regulations that the government's putting on you, you know, aren't going to strap you down so you can't make money. You know, the bottom line is you have to make money and um i've i've always said you you know you got to make more than you spend and i mean you you know the business you're in um what it takes Mm -hmm. Um, being an accountant um i know you've been working for mclaughlin for a few years now i mean you see it you know what it costs Mm -hmm. it's expensive so you got to have a good reputation and then you have to have good workers and then you have to have the ability to sell jobs or you know goods, whatever you're doing. Um, but again, I think it comes down to um, it comes down to the, the personality of the business and the fact that um, you've got to get people to trust you, or not get them, but have them trust that you're gonna give them what they want and if there's a problem you're going to take care of it mm-hmm. you know you're going to see it through to the end mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is you know um, whatever you're selling landscaping or athletic gear or real estate or whatever you want to you want to make sure you're doing your very best because if there's a problem they're going to come back to you yeah <laughs> and you got to solve that problem <laughs> yep. and so whatever it is you've got to see it through to the end and then make sure that everybody's happy with with whatever you're selling mm-hmm. and that's that's the key um you know with this covid and everything else there's there's some other things that are out of your control so it's difficult i know it is i mean i've seen it we've all seen it mm-hmm. and and then you got people now where there's, there's all sorts of jobs but you know they're, they're not willing to work so it's a it's a good question and it's a, it's a tough question and there's a lot of business owners out there that are scratching their head, trying to figure out how
1: to solve the
2: problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yep. Certainly, a lot of challenges. Um, necessity is the mother of invention. So, I mean, we've already seen some some innovation, and I guess we're going to continue to see some some more changes and as people try to find balance and find a way to to navigate some of the challenges we're facing. But thanks for your input.
0: That's that's great, Dean. Yeah, the outdoor dining was a was a great solution. Yep. here down on Main Street, mm-hmm. it seemed to help a lot of the business out really well. Yeah, um, it did. Mm-hmm. It really did.
2: But you know, you got to be able to get out and work too.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, you can't you can't have shutdowns or everything else that's going on, which is not good.
1: Yeah, certainly not. Hopefully, you know, gr- greener pastures ahead. We're moving in the right direction, but
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, I've got one final question yeah go ahead so um, in coming to conclusion what do you love most about this city you've been here you know most of your life and what is what is the single greatest thing that, that you love about this city
2: It'd be my family and my friends I mean that's that's why I'm here I, I could have left like like anybody has an opportunity to leave but I always wanted to be around my parents, uh, my family and then I wanted to be able to be around my friends and participate with them and and enjoy their lives too. And that's always been more important to me than you know being in a big city or in a college town or you know a warm climate. Although I do go down to Arizona yeah. <laughs> every now and then, but um, <clears throat> I just I'm here because I enjoy I enjoy my family and friends.
1: That's that's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. That's good. Awesome. Well, Dean, it has been an absolute privilege to have you. We thank you for giving us your time, sharing your, your wisdom, and some good stories along the way. So thank you very much for joining us. bet,
2: Ryan, Shannon, glad to be here. Okay. I appreciate it.
1: Right. Thanks a lot, Dean. Yeah.